Once you found Acts 6, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 6, it's good to see some visitors here this evening. and just want to say hello to you all. Uh, and I was told that the mom and dad speak primarily Spanish. So give me a minute just to welcome them. Bienvenidos a nuestra iglesia. Es un placer tener ustedes con nosotros. Espero que disfruten el servicio hoy. Y gracias por tu asistencia. Amen. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, and we'll uh, read these here uh, to get us going. The Bible says, And in those days, when the number of the disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and uh, Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and uh, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. The title of the sermon this evening is this, Growing to and through church problems, growing to and through church problems. This church experienced uh, growth at such a pace uh, where they ended up running into some problems within the church. The widows were being neglected, and people were beginning to complain about the neglect within the church. And so we see some restructuring that took place and how they continued to grow uh, as a result. So let's look at this topic this evening and these verses this evening and let's let God do a work in our hearts. Lord, thank you for your your word. We pray that you'd help us to understand it. And Lord, may this be one of those sermons that those who are serious about seeing White Oak Baptist Church grow, they'll take it and Lord, they'll understand it, they'll digest it and they'll do their best to make this a part of their mentality for our future, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, whether you're, growing, uh, whether you're considering a growing church or any other growing organization, there is a cycle that you must become familiar with if you're going to sustain growth. All right, so I would encourage you to flip that half sheet over and write this on the back of your outline there. Um, here is what I'll call the growth cycle, the growth cycle, okay? Uh, the first Uh, step in the growth cycle is structure. Structure. If you're going to grow, you must have structure to grow. Um, The next step after you're structured is that you grow. So you structure for growth and then you grow. And then you grow under that structure to a point of chaos. You hit a point of growth where the structure cannot handle the growth any further and you hit a point of chaos, and then at that point, you have a choice to make. You can either shrink down to where you're at the max capacity of what that uh, structure can handle, or the fourth step is that you must restructure, restructure. So you structure, you grow as a result, you hit a point of chaos where that structure can't handle any more growth, and then you restructure for more 
growth. You restructure for more growth. And then as a result, what happens? You grow and you hit a point of chaos again, and then you're forced to restructure. And then again, you, um, you grow and hit a point of chaos, and you get the idea. It cycles around and around and around. And so any organization that wants to grow, and definitely any church that's going to grow must understand this. Leadership must be looking out for this and must be ready to restructure whenever necessary in order, for the, in order to be able to accommodate more growth. And that's key to understanding the sermon this evening. This was exactly what happened to the church at Jerusalem. Uh, they did not have some manual or college class to refer back to uh, to help them manage growth. And boy, growth was happening at a rapid clip. The church was exploding in growth. We see in Acts 2 that 3,000 were added. And then in Acts 4, uh, 5,000 were added to the church. And then multitudes added. And they went from additional adding to multiplication uh, uh, type growth. And so they had grown and grown and grown. And they had grown to a place where the widows were being neglected. Now, here at White Oak Baptist Church, we are experiencing a little bit of growth. Now, since the, the coronavirus started, we have had approximately 25 families that have still not made it back to church. Approximately 25 families who have, uh, were here prior to COVID, left because of COVID or around that time of COVID, and have not yet made it back. That's about 100 people. That's about 100 people that we are out right now. Now, um, imagine adding those 100 people into our attendance this morning, what that would have looked like. Uh, both services were comfortably full. You throw in another 100 on top of the other people that were missing, boy, we would have been, it would have been a record day uh, for an Easter Sunday, most likely. Um, I would say that um, our attendance has only dropped off about 30. So we're, we're out 100 people, but on average, we're only off about 30 from what we're running pre-COVID. And now take a minute and think about that. That means 70 new people are calling White Oak Baptist Church their church uh, uh, fr- since COVID began, since we came back from COVID. I would call that significant church growth. Now, the numbers might not totally reflect it, and uh, we're not breaking any records on, a su- on an average Sunday, but there are a whole lot of new faces uh, that are coming here over the last year, and we rejoice over that. Now, there has uh, been the need to make all kinds of adjustments and changes in order to accommodate the crowd that we have right now. Sometimes when we make changes, it rubs people the wrong way. Sometimes staff gets moved around. Sometimes volunteers get shifted from one ministry to another. Someone's asked to step down out of one role and step up in another role. And the title of the sermon this evening is Growing To and Then Through Church Problems. To and Through Church Problems. Now, I just want to make it clear that until we get to heaven, wherever you call your church home... If your eyes are open and you're observational, you can and will find problems. You can and will find um, things that could be improved on and made better. I would love to have you over uh, as a fly on the wall in my home and listen to conversations that my wife and I have on Sunday afternoons. 
We, uh, we begin every Sunday afternoon. My kids can tell you this. They, they've heard us do it dozens and dozens of times. We begin on Sunday afternoons by talking about all the good that happened at church that day. And we'll go through and we'll rejoice over this that went right and that that went right. And this person got baptized. And boy, did you see how happy they were. Did you see the joy on the family's face? And this person over here got saved. Or we had these visitors that came. And boy, this family made it back to church after they had been away a while. And boy, this person seems to be going in the right direction with their life. And we take the time and we talk about those things as a married couple. And then we rejoice. And then after we've spent 10, 15, 20 minutes doing that, our conversation shifts to what went wrong that day. And we start talking about uh, this person uh, was supposed to be in their place and they weren't. And uh, 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 boy, this was out of place and this was wrong. And what are we doing? We're, we're trying to see where the problems were operationally from a church so we can get them corrected and fixed and moved on. The point I'm making is that no matter where you go to church, there are going to be problems. And uh, don't let problems discourage you or cause you to uh, want to quit or walk away or be less involved. My friend, no, understand that a growing church is always going to have some sort of problem that needs to be adjusted. And what we need are a core of people that call this their home church, that when they see a problem, they jump up to be part of the solution, not someone who wants to complain about the problem. And so that's exactly what happened here with the church of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 6. A problem, a legitimate problem was brought to the uh, uh, front, to the limelight, and the church leaders jumped on it, restructured, and as a result, the church grew and was healthier because of it. So let's jump into tonight to Acts chapter 6 and let's consider just a handful of thoughts, five thoughts, as we look at this topic growing to and through church problems. Point number one tonight, the complaint, the complaints within the church. The complaints within the church. Go back to Acts chapter 6 with me and look at verse number 1. Acts 6, 1. The Bible says, and in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied. Now we've gone from adding folks to the church multiplying in growth. Two times, three times. Maybe that's not the total size of the church. Maybe what's being multiplied is the amount of people coming in from what had previously been coming in. But the church is growing at a rapid pace. Look here. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So quickly here, notice that there was daily Ministration. That means there was a structure to minister to people on a daily basis. But the structure that had been set in place, the church had grown to a point where folks were being missed. Folks were being neglected. And if you've ever felt neglected within a large body of people, then you may have some idea how these widows must have Felt. You may have some idea, uh, maybe you've been part of a church and missed three, four, five weeks in a row and had no one reach out to you or call you 
or check up on you or show any concern uh, about you. Maybe you missed a family reunion before and uh, no one called or texted or reached out to find out why you had missed. And it's like you didn't show up and no one cared. Well, it's not just anyone being missed in the daily ministration. It's widows being missed. And if there's a group of people that's more vulnerable than widows, I'd like you to tell me. Uh, these are people whose husbands had passed away, and so they're alone, and uh, they're probably a little bit afraid and trying to manage life on their own. And please understand that in Bible times, there was no Social Security check coming in the mail. In Bible times, if you were a widow, you, you were relying on some male somewhere in your life to provide for you, and uh, widows that didn't have that, boy, they really needed their church family to help them get along, and these widows are being neglected, and the Bible tells us that the Grecians rose up and pointed out uh, the problem, and pointed out that this wasn't right. Now again, the idea this evening is growing to and through problems, and we see some problems, um, uh, some see problems as just that. They see them as problems. As problems. Um, other people see problems as opportunity. Opportunity. And I would ask you, which camp do you fall in tonight? The truth is, you could get in your car this evening and take another family from this church out to eat with you. And the two of you could sit in a restaurant after church tonight. And you could talk about all of the problems that you've observed at this church. And the truth is, there's plenty of fodder. There's plenty for you to observe. And the two of you could talk about how leadership's just not getting it done. And you wouldn't be totally wrong. But are you someone who sees problems? Or are you someone who works toward a solution? Um, the church here had people complaining about problems. And I get it. I get it. They had problems. And this church has some uh, things that we can improve on. But my friend, don't be a complainer. Be someone who works toward a solution. So we see here, um, by the way, I wanted to add to this, that the, God wants church to be done in a way that's orderly. 1 Corinthians 14.33, the Bible says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Now, Matthew chapter 5. You don't have to turn there. But Matthew chapter 5, we find what we have uh, called the Beatitudes. How many of you are familiar with the phrase, the Beatitudes? Blessed are the, blessed are the, right, pure in heart. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the uh, hungry and thirsty, right after righteousness. How about this one? Blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemakers. You know, when you see a problem, if you're a peacemaker, you become part of the solution. And uh, you offer to make it better. You offer to make it better. The church of Jerusalem was growing so fast that no matter how organized they may have tried to be, chaos was going to happen. The pastors were busy sermon prepping, praying, and preaching without any sort of structured plan. The widows have become neglected, and as a result, there was reason for complaining and criticism. So how did these apostle pastors handle the problem? They created a new leadership position within the church. Number one, the complaints. Number two, notice the categories. The categories of church leadership. And so real quickly here, notice letter A, pastors. 
pastors. There are two offices uh, that the church has laid out in Scripture, and uh, there are three different words that describe the first position. There's elder, uh, there's bishop, and there's pastor. All three of those are biblical words found in the New Testament. Uh, they all describe the same leadership position, pastors. Now, in the years to come, God uh, would write through the pen of Paul, uh, the apostle, to Timothy and Titus, and in these books, the responsibilities and requirements of both pastors and deacons would be fleshed out. Okay, Here in Acts 6, we find two requirements given to pastors. Look down at verse number 2. Look at verse number 2, Acts 6-2. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Look down at verse 4. Verse 4. But we, these are pastors, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now again, uh, Acts 6-2 and 6-4 do not give us all of the requirements of a pastor and don't lay out uh, all of the responsibilities of a pastor, but they do offer two responsibilities of a pastor, and they are to be given to the ministry of the word, given to the ministry of the word. What does that mean? That means that the pastor should know his Bible really, really, really well. Um, you expect the pastor when he gets up on Sunday or Wednesday and he opens up the Word of God to have studied the text, uh, to know it very well, and to be able to stand up and deliver a message that is understandable, that is clear, uh, that is concise, that makes sense, that is accurate. Pastors are to have a ministry of the word and that when you have a problem and you have a concern and you have a need you can come to the pastor and say pastor what does God say about fill in the blank and the pastor opens up the Bible and says the Bible says right here and the word is able to minister to you because the pastors have a ministry with the word and so the other area here is that they're to be given to prayer given to the ministry of the word and given to prayer given to prayer now um, pastors ought to pray Pastors ought to take time out of their schedules uh, to pray. And pastors ought not only have a prayer life, pastors ought to have a prayer time. A time in the day where they push out the noise and turn off the cell phone and get on their knees and pray. We live in a day and age where everyone wants access to everyone 24 hours a day and seven days a week. And so you text someone, and if they don't text you back within an hour, you become upset and think, well, that person has a problem with me. That person doesn't like me. And I'll just say here that I work hard to text back quickly. I'm not perfect at it. I work hard at it. And I don't get back to everyone right away every time. But can I tell you that sometimes if you call me and I don't answer, it might be that I'm away from my phone because I'm in prayer. It might be that I put my phone on do not disturb mode and I'm on my knees and I'm praying for you or someone else in the church family. And listen, I, there has to be times where I'm inaccessible to the church family because I'm alone with the Lord. I'm alone with God in prayer. And God has called me to do that. For me to stand up here this evening and tell you that I'm a man who prays is not me being braggadocious or me tooting my own horn. This is the entry-level requirements of being a pastor. We're to be given to the ministry of the Word and we're to be given... To prayer, And so we see here in Acts 6 that this church had 12 pastors, or uh, right, 12 pastors, and uh, that was not enough to get it done. And so letter B, we see a new position within the church created, and that is the deacon, the deacon or the deacons. 
uh, more details about the requirements and the role of, or responsibilities of the deacons would later be laid out in 1 Timothy chapter number 3. But again, Acts 6 gives us the preliminary details. Look down at verse 1. Here's where the role of deacon was created. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Serve tables. So, in part, what is the duty of a deacon? Well, they are to be... First of all, given to the ministry of the widows. Given to the ministry of the widows. Uh, Just to be very specific from this passage, this role of deaconship was created because the widows were being neglected, and this was the answer to that problem. They said, find seven men, and the church was large. You don't have to have seven deacons. They had seven deacons because they were a large church. But they said, pick seven men, and we'll get into uh, what, they, uh, 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 what the requirements were from a godly standpoint in a minute. But pick seven men in the church who uh, can help tend to this problem. What was the problem? The problem, again, was that the widows were being neglected. So I just say tonight to the deacons that are our three deacons that are here in the room this evening, and by the way, God has given White Oak Baptist Church some godly, godly deacons. I don't say that to flatter them. They don't need me to flatter them. Uh, but um, I've had the privilege of being part of many churches in my lifetime. And the one thing I have said about this church since the day I got here, even prior to getting here, is that this church has deacons that just get it. They understand it. But to the deacons in the room tonight, I would just remind you that one of your key roles is to minister to our widows. And so when you see a widow that's truly a widow Uh, Make sure that you are in contact with them. Make sure that their needs are met. Make sure that you're following up with them regularly. If your wife is able to reach out and minister to them, then have your wife involved in that widow's life and be there for them. But what else uh, do we uh, gather from Acts 6, 1 and 2 that a a deacon is to do? Well, they're to be given to service of others. What did Peter and the apostles' uh, uh, pastor say? They said, it is not ideal for us to leave our study where we're praying and studying for our sermons to come down and wait on tables right there's a church function there's a meal and uh listen uh and there's nothing wrong with a pastor helping out put on a dinner listen as a pastor i've helped put on many dinners and uh, i don't have a problem with that but i should not have to sacrifice sermon prep time in order to tend to serving tables and so let's bring the deacons out and let's let them serve the people serve the people now tables is used here but can i just say that the role of the deacon first and foremost is to be a servant to the needs of the people in the church to be a a, a servant within the church now unfortunately and i'm getting a little ahead of myself here but that's okay unfortunately in the independent fundamental baptist church movement i don't know how you have a movement when churches are independent of each other but there is a trend you can see in churches that claim to be independent baptist okay uh and so i'm speaking as a young man who went to church in the southeast in the mid-atlantic in the midwest 
and now here in New England and, and talking to other pastors in the area and having many, many pastors' friends all over the country. If I can tell you where we have got it wrong as a movement, we've got it wrong in this area, deacons. Deacons in most churches are treated as nothing more than an advisory board to the pastor. And can I tell you, in many, many, many churches across this country, they do more than just act as an advisory board. They actually puppet the pastor. They tell the pastor what he can and can't do. I've heard of churches where the pastor submits his sermon to the deacons and gets it approved before he preaches it. I've heard of churches where the pastor has to go to the deacons and get his ideas approved for church growth uh, before he can run with them. And I would just say, where does that fit in line with Acts 6? In Acts 6, these men were selected, and this role was not called deacon in this passage, but this role would become that of a deacon board, of a group of men who were deacons, not to boss the pastor around or even to advise the pastor. This role was created so that the pastors could run the church and not be cumbered about with the work of the nitty-gritty service. This was meant to free up the pastors so they could be greater students of the Bible. Deacons are supposed to be men who serve. Men who serve. You ask, well, pastor, can a woman be a deacon? And according to Acts chapter 6, we'll see in a moment that it was in verse 3. It says there, in fact, look at it. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men, seven men of honest report. In 1 Timothy 3, we're told that to meet the requirements of a deacon, you must be the husband of of one wife. Now I know that marriage has been changed around all sorts of ways by our culture, but I still haven't figured out how a woman could be a husband. Y'all with me this evening? I don't know how a woman could be a husband. And maybe you can do some sort of weird, perverse, mental jumping jacks to figure out how a woman becomes a husband, but I still don't think that that is uh, logically possible. You say, well, is the Bible a sexist book because it won't let women serve as uh, deacons? And I would say no. Different roles do not mean better or, or greater or less. It just means different roles. And this is a role that God gave to the men to be pastors and deacons. And so deacons who serve. Notice point one, we see the complaints within the church. Number two, the categories of church leadership. Look at point three with me. Notice the characteristics of a deacon, the characteristics of a deacon. Look at verse number three. Again, it says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report. Notice letter A, honest men. Honest men. These were men who were known for their integrity. Known for their integrity. These were men who, when they gave their word, came through on their word. The Bible says that, uh, let's see, uh, confidence in an unfaithful man is like a broken tooth or a foot out of joint. How many of you here have ever had a broken tooth? Doesn't feel good, does it? You ever been biting down on a hard piece of candy and thought, that's not candy floating around my mouth? Right? Ouch. How many of you here have ever had your foot dislocated or broken in some way? Brother Andres dropped a heavy box on his toe and uh, almost broke his toe and Miss Hope had the nerve to text me a picture of his foot. And um, that wasn't nice, Miss Hope. That wasn't nice. And I uh, lost my appetite that night. Thank you very much. So 
for that. And she says, it's my fault. It's not my fault. But anyway, uh, a broken foot or a tooth out of joint. Listen, uh, we need men who are honest, who keep their word, who say when they're going to be somewhere and they're going to do something, they're there and they do it. Now, uh, men that have that reputation of being honest, but not only the reputation, the character behind the reputation to back that up. And listen, we need honest men, honest men. Uh, men who keep their word. Letter A, honest men. Notice letter B, we see Holy Ghost-led men. Holy Ghost-led men. Look at Acts chapter 6 in verse number 3. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost. Full of the Holy Ghost. Now, someone might ask, do you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost to check on widows and serve tables? I mean, can't anyone check up on widows and serve tables? Do you really need to be Holy Ghost-led and yielded and submitted to the Holy Ghost to be able to do that? And the answer is a resounding yes! Yes, you do! Listen, the, the, the second greatest commandment in the Bible is what? Love thy neighbor as thyself. Serving others is like the most spiritual, Christ-like thing a person can do. And if you're not Holy Ghost-led, then you won't do it on the level that the Lord would have you to do it at. Now, I can't tell you in my many years of being a Christian and now five years of pastoring how many times I've been prompted by the Holy Spirit of God to call someone or text someone or even get in my car and drive over to someone's house and knock on their door to check up on someone. You know, if I'm not yielded to the Holy Spirit of God, I really can't serve and love people the way that I'm called to do that. And to have deacons thrown in the position of deacon who are not men who are led by the Spirit of God, but just men who've been in the church a long time and men of uh, prominence and uh, men of um, uh, uh, maybe high esteem by others. And uh, listen, that's not the marker of how we choose a deacon. A deacon ought to be chosen because they are filled with the Spirit of God and exhibit, exhibit uh, the fruits of the Spirit of God. They're Holy Ghost-led, and they're in the place of serving others. Sometimes someone will come to me and say, Hey, I've noticed someone is teetering on the edge of faithfulness, and they haven't been in church much lately. Or, you know, uh, maybe if we gave them a role in the church, that would help them to get more involved. And I used to fall into that trap. I used to look at someone and say, well, you know what, I'm going to ask them to run the sound booth. Maybe if we have them run the sound booth, that will help them be more faithful to church. And you know what I found is that I wouldn't have a sound guy. Is, uh, they were there sometimes and they weren't there sometimes. And I've seen churches make the mistake of promoting a man to deacon, hoping that would make him godly. And my friend, that's not how it works. Deacons are not to be put in that role to become godly. Deacons are to be Holy Ghost godly men who are put there after they're practicing that role. Holy Ghost led men. When I was in college, they taught us this, and this is a, a valuable lesson. I hope you're listening tonight. They would say this, the ministry is people. People bring with them problems. Therefore, the ministry is dealing with people's problems. 
The ministry is people. People bring problems. Therefore, the ministry is problems. There's no way to handle people's problems without the Holy Ghost of God indwelling you and leading you. I've seen many, many deacons limit and destroy many a church because they are carnal and simply holding on to the position for the power that they have. They're holding on to the position of power that they have. There was a Baptist church down in Georgia. A friend of mine, his son, uh, uh, took that church as his first pastorate. And uh, that deacon had been there for 60 years in that church. Had been a deacon in that church for over 50 years. The man was well into his 70s. And the deacon held the keys to the church and uh, would not let one penny of the church's money be spent unless he signed off on it first. My friend's son took over the church pastorate and worked hard to build that church and to grow that church and went in there with his wife and they loved on people and cared for people. And after about three years, he took his keys and gave them back to the deacon and said, if you're not going to let me pastor the church, then I'll just go elsewhere. That church would shrivel up and and uh, today, I believe it's still in existence, but just running a handful of people. A handful of people. I'm afraid many people have the attitude that I was here before the pastor came, and I'll be here after the pastor's gone, and if I don't like the pastor, then I'll just run him out of the church, and we'll get us one that we like better. My friend, that's a very immature way of coming at it. Holy Ghost-led men care deeply about people, and they're uh, spirit-filled, led men who care more about loving people and being led by the Spirit of God than they do their own name. Do you remember what Jesus said uh, to his disciples? He said, the greatest among you shall be what? The servant of all. The servant of all. We see honest men. We see Holy Ghost-led men. Let her see. We see heavenly-minded men. Look back at Acts chapter 6 and verse 3. It says, Wherefore, brethren... Look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. And wisdom. Notice that there. And wisdom. Whom we may appoint over this business. It wasn't just enough for them to be honest and Holy Ghost led men. These were men who were experienced in the Word and experienced in life. And they were filled with wisdom. Now, uh, very next passage that we'll study looking at next week is Stephen. And he was filled with so much wisdom that when he preached to the scribes and the council and the Pharisees, they, would, uh, they were not able to withstand the logic of his wisdom and his preaching. And so instead of refuting him, they just took him out and stoned him. We'll look at that next week. But these men were filled with wisdom. They had wisdom to be imparted. I'm thankful that at our church, Brother uh, Jacob Okai, Brother Mike Syrett, and Brother Jim Owens are men who have walked with God for many, many years and are filled with meekness and godly wisdom. And I am confident in saying this to you, that if you have a problem, a struggle in your life, and you need to go to someone and get some life advice from the Word of God, all three of these men are qualified 
to sit down with you and help you. Why? Because they're honest men. They're Holy Ghost-led men. And they're heavenly-minded men. And I'm not here to put them up on a platform, but I am here to say that I am thankful that that culture of godly deacons was established at this church long, long before my pastorate. Number four, notice the commissioning of the deacons. The commissioning of the deacons. Now look down at verse number five of Acts chapter six. The Bible says, And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip. Now we know about Stephen and Philip because in the book in the book of Acts, the chapters to come, there's a lot of information about them. But the, the rest of these men we know very little about. But we do know that they fit the qualifications that were laid out by the apostles here. Look, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and uh, Par- 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 Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Look at verse 6. Whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Now, admittedly, I do not know if this practice has been followed here at White Oak Baptist Church throughout its history, but I don't believe I've ever seen a deacon have hands laid on them and been prayed over. I don't know if that's been done here, but I do know that that is the precedent given to us in Acts chapter number 6. And uh, this is what I'd like to do tonight. I'd like to ask our three deacons, if they would, to come, come to the front of the auditorium. If you three men would come up here, and I'd like for us to lay hands on our deacons and pray over them that they would be Holy Spirit uh, men, Holy Spirit-led men who would be honest men, heavenly-minded men. If you three men would please uh, come forward, and I would like for us this evening to lay hands on them, and I'd invite the other men in the church uh, who are members of this church, uh, if you would, to come forward. If you three men could find a comfortable position here across the front of the auditorium and be spaced out, Uh, whether you're able to kneel. If you're not able to kneel because of health, you can sit on a chair. But find a spot here across the front and uh, and just kneel uh, for me. And I'd like to invite uh, the men of the church who are members of this church to come forward at this time. And I'd like to invite you to help uh, just pick one of the deacons and let's evenly spread ourselves across. And let's lay hands on our deacons and let's pray over them this evening. And let's ask uh, God to use them to do a mighty work in and through our church. Just men, gather around and help us lay hands on uh, these men. Uh, we, we do this for pastors when we're ordaining them, but I believe this is a, a biblical thing and a godly thing that we're to do. And so find your way up here, men, and, and gather around uh, for me. And uh, we're going to pray over each deacon uh, one at a time this evening. Lord, we thank you for... Brother Owens and the testimony that he's had over many years of faithfulness to you. Lord, we know that uh, you have great plans for his life. And uh, Lord, you want to use him mightily here at White Oak Baptist Church to continue to help raise up yet another generation uh, to uh, follow you and be faithful to you. We're thankful for the gifts and Uh, spiritual talents that you've given him, spiritual gifts and talents, rather, that you've given him. And we pray that you would help him to use those for your kingdom.
that this kingdom, uh, your heavenly kingdom would be furthered as a result of the effort he puts forward in uh, this role of deacon here at our church. We pray that you would raise up many more men behind him who would love souls and uh, love the Bible and love to serve. And Lord, that um, uh, as uh, the baton eventually is passed down to the next generation, uh, Lord, that uh, they would look at a man like James owns and follow the way he's uh, done his role as a deacon. And Lord, help him to uh, continue to serve you with great fervency and fire. And uh, Lord, use him to see souls saved and lives touched and reached one at a time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Lord, we pray for our deacon, Mike, Mike Syrett. And Lord, we're thankful for the ministry here that you've given him. Lord, we're thankful for the uh, meek, temperate spirit that he lives his life with. We're thankful for the consistency by which he lives his life. And Lord, we're thankful that he follows your leading and that no matter what life throws his way, he's just committed. Lord, we pray that you would anoint him anew and give him your strength in order to keep pressing forward in his work here at our church. Thank you for his witness in the community, his witness at work. Thank you for his care of those who attend this church. And thank you for the godly heritage that you've given him. And Lord, we pray for him that you would help him to be the father and husband that you've called him to be. May he lead his family well. And Lord, help him as he endeavors to serve you through this church. Lord, may he do it with great unction. May he do it through your Holy Spirit's leading. And, Lord, use him in a mighty way. Uh, uh, Continue to use him in a mighty way. And, Lord, like we prayed prior, raise up men who will follow his example. And, Lord, give him wisdom as he counsels folks who come to him for help. And, Lord, as he works with our children in our children's ministry, uh, may he continue to impart great wisdom and values to those who look up to him and uh, call him a leader and Sunday school teacher. Lord, be with him and help him to follow you. Help him to be faithful to read his Bible and pray. And, Lord, help him as he continues to serve the people of this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And, Lord, we pray for our dear brother, Jacob Okai. And Lord, thank you for his love. Thank you, Lord, for saving him so many years ago. And Lord, his journey is uh, unique to him. Lord, um, his faithfulness to you in this church for many decades. Uh, Lord, his his consistency and uh, Lord, the uh, spirit of rejoicing that just seems to define him. And uh, Lord, that joy and that love and that peace. Uh, Lord, that is so evident to anyone who speaks to them, the kindness that comes from him. We're thankful for that. We're thankful for his witness for you wherever he goes. He's quick to share uh, uh, the, the gospel with those who will listen to him. And Lord, we praise you for that. We pray that you would help him to be a man who remains heavenly minded. And Lord, may he continue to seek for wisdom from above and not lean on his own understanding. And uh, God, use him in the role of deacon here mightily in this church. We pray for Rose tonight, his wife. And Lord, we pray that um, you would help her to be a, a supporter a supporter of her husband and by his side continue to be that. Thank, we thank you, Lord, for decades of a strong marriage you've given the two of them. And we pray for many, many more years of a happy marriage. 
Lord, we pray for his kids, that you'd help them as they continue to endeavor to seek you and find their spiritual way in life. We pray for his, his grand, uh, grandchild that was just born. Lord, that you'd help that grandchild to find you at a young age and pursue you with all of his heart. And Lord, we're thankful uh, tonight that you've given him uh, to us. May he do a, a great and mighty work uh, through, uh, may you do a great and mighty work through him and the ministry of service that you have for him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. You, you may be seated. This right here is exactly what was done in the early church in Acts chapter number 6. They picked seven men. They prayed over them and they commissioned them. I want you to all to understand that deacon is not just a title that some folks have as a power grab. The role of deacon in a church is that of a servant. We see here that because they were commissioned, the church had the restructure it needed to grow yet even more. Let's look at the fifth and final point of the sermon this morning. Notice the company added to the church. The company added to the church. Look at verse number 7. The Bible says, as a result, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Look at that last part of the verse. A great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. You know, priests who had been serving in the temple knew all about structure. Structure was important to them. Uh, you go through the book of Leviticus and you get great detail into great structure on how the, Le the Levites and the Aaronic priesthood were to run things. And I wonder if some of the priests in the temple thought to themselves, boy, I would love to go over there and convert to Christianity, but they just seem to be a disorganized mess. And here, once these deacons were added and structure was found throughout the church... These priests saw the structure and were drawn in to giving their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and believing. Again, that growth cycle, structure, structure. The original structure was set forth in the upper room way back in Acts chapter 1. Growth, growth. God had sent them incredible growth that matched the structure that they had. They had preached the word uh, with the Holy Ghost power and God had sent thousands and thousands of people to be part of their church. As a result of the growth, their structure hit a point of chaos. Acts 6 shows us that their structure had reached critical mass and now the vulnerable were slipping through the proverbial cracks. And then Acts 6 tells us they restructured for more growth. Now with the seven deacons chosen and, uh, and commissioned, the church was prepared to grow once again. And verse 7 tells us that they did just that. They grew. They grew. Now I wanted to preach the text exactly how it's written. And I believe I've done that. Let me finish the sermon by offering you three concluding thoughts that apply to everyone who are not deacons and pastors. All right? Three concluding thoughts. Concluding thought number one is this. A growing church is always in transition. 
a growing church is always in transition. You, many people don't like change. They can't stand change. Some of you here, if the grocery store you've shopped at for 25 years, uh, they move things around, that just ruins your life. Right? The milk has been in the same place for the last 25 years. How dare they move it to the other side of the grocery store? How many are that way this evening? You just cannot stand change. You know what? Jesus never changes. Everything else changes. If you don't believe me, go look in the mirror. Amen. You've done your share of changing too. Changing is inevitable. Now, uh, a lot of people say, boy, I sure would like to be in a growing church. But then when someone's sitting in their pew, maybe they don't want to be in a growing church. I sure want to be in a growing church, but they pull in on a Sunday and they have to park in the very back of the parking lot because all the spots close to the building are taken and they grumble and gripe up the stairs as they make their way into the church. People say, I want to be in a growing church, and they go in the bathroom and the paper towel dispenser is out of paper towels. and you, I have to wipe my hands off on my shirt. The Bible says where there are no oxen, the crib is clean. Right? If you want a clean church, then let's just have everybody quit coming. We say we want a growing church, but then when that inconveniences us, we don't like it. But let me take it a step further. A growing church always being in transition, sometimes that means that the workers of the church get shifted around a little bit. What if I were to come to you and say, I need someone else to step into your spot and do your job so that the church can move forward? Well, that's not easy. That's not easy. Brother Mike Scarpetti has said to me ever since day one, I, I can't even count how many times he and I have had this conversation. I assume he's in the lobby listening in now. If he's not there, it's all good. But he has said to me, I know there's going to come a day where you ask me to step down from the youth. And, Pastor, I want you to know that when you do, I'm ready to do it. Will my flesh like it? No. But I am willing to do what's better for the team over what's better for me. And you know what? As a pastor, I say, I say, praise God for people that have that attitude. I would like to think that if God moved in my heart to step down as the pastor so someone else could step in and take the church to the next level, if God so moved, I would like to think that I would be obedient to that. Are you a team player tonight? Do you understand that a growing church is in transition, and when things transition, we don't have to look under every transition rock for scandal. Just because things are changing doesn't mean they're scandal. Sometimes it could be that God's just restructuring things in order for the church to grow. Second concluding thought tonight. Notice, you don't have to be a deacon to serve others. You don't have to be a deacon to serve others. Well, the pastor and the deacons can serve. And you know what? They need someone to serve so they can serve me. You know what? The pastor and the deacons will gladly serve you. But you know what helps a church move forward is when everyone takes on the attitude of a servant. 
You don't have to be a deacon to help seat people, you know, when the church is full on Easter Sunday morning. You don't have to be a deacon to pass a plate. Ladies, you don't have to be a deacon to change a a diaper in the nursery. In fact, we don't want the deacons changing diapers in the nursery. Amen? And all the deacons said amen on that one right there. You don't have to be a deacon to help the coffee area be cleaned. And you don't have to be a deacon to sing in the church choir we're getting ready to start. You don't have to be a deacon uh, to help uh, prepare some eggs or waffles or sausage or ham for a church brunch. You don't have to be a deacon to work on the bus route. You don't have to be a deacon to vacuum a carpet or clean a nursery or whatever the role is. You know, a a church that has volunteers carrying the load is the healthiest of churches. I've been in my share of large churches where the church staff does everything or seemingly everything. That is an unhealthy church. And I would just say to you this this, uh, evening that you may need to sit on the pew right now and lick your wounds. You might be going through a hard time in your life. And you may not be in a place emotionally or spiritually where you can do much serving. And to that I say I understand. But our mentality as a whole needs to be, Lord, what would you have me do to be a servant at church? How can I help improve the church and move the gospel ball down the field so more people can be saved? Pastor Lejeune, if I help in the nursery, am I being a witness? The answer is yes. Do you know that if I'd gotten up here and preached the gospel this morning and all eight babies that were in the nursery at 1045 had been in the room, it would have been a disaster? Those of you that watched the nursery this morning, do you know that you are just as much a part of getting the gospel out as I was? You say, well, Pastor, I didn't do much today. I just, you know, brought some food for the brunch and, uh, you know, I, I didn't do much. Do you know that all of the food brought in combined was a draw for lost to come in and eat and then hear the gospel? Those of you that pass a plate and those of you that vacuum a room or straighten a hymn book, you are doing your part in the environment of a gospel-preaching church to make it happen. Listen, we need the pastors and the deacons to serve, but we need you to serve too. Find your role and get involved. The third concluding thought this evening is this. If you see a problem... Be part of the solution. If you see a problem, be part of the solution. Hey, listen, weak-minded people point out problems. Strong-minded people help find the solution. I learned this lesson as a young assistant pastor. I remember I saw something at Granite Baptist Church that was not working properly. It was a growing church. We, We grew from 500 to about 800 in about three years. So we were growing at a clip of about 100 people a year. And, you know, we went through this structure, growth, chaos, restructure process regularly, constantly restructuring. I remember seeing a problem that has nothing to do with any of the ministries I served in, and it really bothered me. And I remember going to my pastor and saying to him, you know, this, this just isn't working right. And I remember he looked at me and said, well, what do you think the solution is? And I remember thinking to myself, That's your job, not mine. Now, I I didn't say that, but I remember thinking it. You're the senior pastor. You're supposed to figure that out. I'm just bringing it to your attention. 
You know what I learned working under him is that when I saw a problem, I went to him not only with the problem, but with a couple of ideas that could solve the problem. Now, we have to be careful here, and I covered this with the church staff. There's a difference. There's a balance here. You're watching. I'm almost done. But I think this is the critical part of the message, and this will help eliminate a lot of friction within the church body. So listen here, okay? You have initiation. This is where you step up. You see a need. You fill a need. You see a problem. You're part of the solution. That's called taking initiative. And then you have the thought of staying in your lane. Okay? So let me give you an example. All right? Let's say that you look at Pastor Andrews leading the choir that's coming up, and you think, boy, man, I, you know, I just think the choir could sound a lot better. And so um, you run around the building, and you say to everyone, our choir just stinks. You know, you're not really helping things. Maybe you go and you say, you know what, I'm showing up to choir practice at 4.30 and I'm just going to elbow Pastor Andrew out of the way and I'm going to lead the choir because I could do a better job. You say, well, I'm taking initiative. No, you're being a nuisance. You see our nursery director, Sherilyn here tonight. Okay, good, I can talk about her all I want, amen? She's, she's, she's in the nursery. All right, our nursery director is where she belongs, in the nursery. No, we want to get her out of the nursery. She's in there too much. Uh, you, you look at the way our nursery's running, and you think, what a disaster. No, I don't think that. I think she's doing a great job. But you think, oh, oh, our nursery's a mess. Going and taking the position away from her is not the answer. But going to her with your ideas on how it can be improved is the answer. So, you know, I noticed, Miss Cheryl, that this and this maybe isn't working quite well. Have you considered maybe trying this or this and doing it in a way that's gracious? You see the balance of taking initiative but yet staying in your lane? And as a church, we have to learn how that works. And then you give plenty of grace for people to come around. If you see a problem, be part of the solution. Running to Facebook or running to a secret text thread or having a corner conversation about the problem, just to be critical, boy, that doesn't please the Lord. In fact, God hates that. The Bible says He hates it when we sow discord. And so tonight, I would encourage you to be a servant and to be part of the solution. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this evening. You've been a great audience to preach to all day, and I believe you've had a great spirit about you. Listen, White Oak Baptist Church, I believe that we're going to grow immensely in the next few years if the Lord tarries. As we grow, we're going to see problems. We're going to see chaos. We'll have to restructure through. How about it tonight? Will you be part of the solution? Will you accept the fact that growing churches are in transition? Will you say, Lord, I'm willing and ready to do my role, whatever it is to serve. Lord, help us tonight. Help us tonight to commit, to be a part of the core of the church. Lord, help us to be gracious and kind and understanding. And Lord, would you bring growth to a group of people who are Holy Spirit-led, heavenly-minded, and honest folk. May we walk with you. May we work for you. May we witness for you. Lord, may we see great results. Lord, this world outside our doors 
is crying out for someone to help them. And Lord, in a day where the world is asking so many questions, may we be organized and ready to give those answers. And Lord, send growth our way as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. Now before we have our invitation, can I just ask a favor? I'd like to ask all of you in the church that care deeply about our church to consider coming and bending a knee. And will you pray that God would help you to be a servant? I'm going to bend my knee at the altar here in just a minute. We may, can we all recommit to being a servant of the Lord? Can we commit to seeing God use our church in a great and mighty way?